UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone and as always good evening, good morning or afternoon whenever you're listening to us. Somehow we've managed to make it to podcast 70. It's incredible. I can't believe that you want to listen to us chatting about all this nonsense that we normally do. But thank you for listening to us and having us as a podcast of choice. Today I have got Jim. Good evening. I have David again. Good evening. I have Andrew sitting there and already has his head in his hands. And I've got Graham, whose audio isn't working, so he's joining us today through the medium of interpretive dance. So, on to the news. There's something I want to talk about, particularly I want to talk about. It comes as no surprise to any of you that it's Aston Martin related. Have you guys seen the DB5 continuation model? Yes. Yes. So if you haven't seen this, this is basically sort of your childhood dream, really. It's a DB5, but a full-size one. And Aston Martin have put the Bond gadgets in it. So the indicators or sidelights, whatever they are, and that I can't remember now. Both, I think. The sidelights or indicators flip down, machine guns come out, and it does that da-da-da-da-da-da noise. And at the back, you have a what they call a simulated oil slick. No ejector seat, which is kind of understandable. But you get the phone in the glove box, and you get the, the, sort of the radar screen in the centre of the car as well, and it looks absolutely brilliant, but it's £3.3 million and it's not road legal. Can you make it road legal? I don't know. I mean, is anyone going to bother? It's got rotating number plates, so I guess you could probably just pick another another DB5 and <laughs> drive well, it around. It would be very handy for the London congestion charge as well, but it'd be completely exempt, wouldn't it? You'd never get a fine for that with rotating number plates. And it's got the overriders and bits and pieces, so I suppose you could nudge stuff out of the way. I think we may have found out why it's not road legal then. <laughs> oh yes, but it's, it's, it's like anything. It's, it, it, is it one of these quirks where it can be there, but it's only illegal if you use it, along the same lines of, I have a chip in my windscreen, so it's an MOT failure. If I kick the windscreen out of my car and have no windscreen, there is no windscreen to have a chip in. So it's like the tree falling in the forest. You know, if it's not there, it can't be chipped. If it's not there, you can't hear it, and um, and it passes. Very weird. At three point three million pounds, though, let's face it, none of them are going to end up anywhere other than in a collector's you know, museum, personal garage, whatever it's going to be. Um, which is a real shame because I really would want to drive one of those on the road, if for no other reason than just the satisfaction of having the flip down, flip out machine guns, just so I can drive up behind people. But c- can you imagine three million pounds and somebody runs up the back of you at a set of traffic lights. I mean, that, that would just no. be horrific, wouldn't it? You would have to get out and murder them. Simple as that. Turn the car around and shoot them. <laughs> or, or, or slick them. What I do really like is uh, that Aston Martin have done their own video uh, for this, which is something we'll pop on the website and you can see it in just a bit once we've finished chatting to you. I suppose all you could pause us. You know, it's a free country. Do what you like. And they've got this car that drives out and they're doing donuts. And you think, if I've just spent £3.3 million on one of these cars, I'd be a little bit upset if someone was donutting it around. I think it would it'd be brilliant to see. Cause, and let's face it, you'd only be able to use it somewhere like a racetrack, or I suppose if you've got £3.3 million to, to spend on a, a, a DB5, then probably you might have a little bit of land to drive it around on. But yeah, a fantastic toy. I think probably the ultimate toy in terms of cars. But donutting around, that's that's... 
kind of how it's it's got to be used, isn't it? That's kind of what it's designed for. It's a bit like the uh, the end of factory or first drive checks of a uh, of a McLaren or uh, or an Aston Martin. And there's you know there's a tight figure of eight involved. There's a uh, on the McLaren the McLaren test. It's uh, you know driving around in a in a rather large empty bit of tarmac, and and the guy freely admits his, his next section is testing. Uh, all of the stability programs in in various levels. He puts it through all the modes, and uh, you know, and says, "Well, in this mode, it, it should spin," and the car just disappears in a massive cloud of its own tire smoke. And he says, "Yes, that's working because I've spun," and and <laughs> go through. That's that's kind of how they're designed. So it's kind of okay, I think. And uh, cars cars should be driven, and cars should be used. So it's uh, it will be a crying shame if they do all end up in uh, in museums and and never driven. You know, to be appreciated as, as bits of art or design. Yes, you can appreciate them, but cars are for driving. They really are. Have you just stumbled upon what is probably our dream job? Just just driving out and doing burnouts in uh, what, t- <laughs> in t- testing that stability programs don't work. Yes, that sounds yes. like a fun job. Actually, yes, that sounds like an incredible job. How did you get one of those? There was a restrained events, no, though uh, some of them tend to be these days because of health and safety. Uh, a vehicle launch that I went on ooh, 10, 11 years ago, something like that. One section of the, uh, look, you know, you go to have all the classroom sections and they tell you about all the new design and features and, and all that nonsense. And, and all everyone really wants to do is just drive it and, and see what it's mm-hmm. all about. Uh, and there's normally a section where you know you'll do a little road section. There might be a little bit of a uh, really gentle track work if you're lucky. Um, but there was uh, there was one launch I went on, and we turned up in in what was literally a Halfords car park uh, full of traffic cones, and uh, it was just at, at the dawn of ESP and all these systems getting somewhat good rather than uh, than nannying. And and the one challenge was to fling it into this tight section of cones faster than you physically should do, uh, stamp on the brakes halfway through and try and crash it, basically. So it was it was organised hooning in a Halfords car park. It was great fun. All you need is McDonald's tea trays. One of the lads did turn up with a couple of McDonald's tea trays, and um, it, it was suggested as an idea, but that, that was apparently beyond the parameters of the original design of the system, so that, uh, that oh, didn't go any further. Beyond the scope. In fact, you and I did this um, in a new Focus where we drove down a runway at speed and they told us to drive at the back of a caravan and see if it stopped. Uh, And and we did. We did stop. And they had the little evasive. It's quite clever. It put the extra... um, As you you were braking hard, it realised you were going to crash. It gave you extra power through the steering so that just a quarter of a turn took you that bit further and you could go round things rather than drive into it. But again, one of these bits of safety technology that you're never ever going to know it's there until you really need to use it and then when you do use it you just think you're a really good driver and you're probably not or not as good as that yes yeah nine times out of ten you you, you'll never notice it's there but then that's the the best kind of uh, safety system isn't it though one that's that's always there in the background hopefully in in 10 years of owning the car you'll never need it or maybe only even need it once but if it's there and it catches you that one time then it's well worth it but uh, in, in daily driving you want it to be there but not uh, not in, not intrusive not nannying yeah and that's the problem and that was always the problem with old traction control systems and if you're driving a car now from around about the turn of the millennium when they first started to come in and i remember i had this on a, a mondeo st all that would happen is if it decided it was going to spin i.e the wheels were going to spin when you're pulling it onto a roundabout, for example, it would just cut all the power. So you then you crash. 
it was absolutely dreadful. So you'd turn it off the whole time. Yeah, so the the old stability programs, you'd chuck chuck it into a roundabout a bit keen, back off the throttle to uh, to tuck the nose in nicely and bring the back end round a little bit, and, and the car would just shudder, make a really weird noise, and then stop in the middle of the roundabout, and then all the brakes would overheat. Most annoying. Mm. I, I remember Merck's having a weird... Uh, you could never really turn the, the traction control off properly. And you'd go in and the back end would come around and all of a sudden it would snap straight. And it would always do it just as you'd caught it being at the right angle to come off the roundabout. Because obviously from time to time you hit a patch of oil or something on a roundabout and, and you can't help the back end coming round in your Mercedes. But I just remember that that's so inconvenient because now I'm pointing directly at the island where, where I don't want to go. You have to go round again. And it just it made you look like you didn't know what you were doing. Didn't it? No such problem in a Capri. And I remember <laughs> sitting at a set of traffic lights, giving the guy a thumbs up. And he'd, he'd come up to the junction, decide he was going to give it the big one pulling out and just booted it and did a complete 180 uh, and then sort of rolled off to the side as he'd stalled afterwards. It was really disappointing. Thankfully, these days, there are so many, especially sporty, sportier cars, you can sort of turn the traction control off or you can turn it off, off, depending on what you want to do. But I think it's far less intrusive than it used to be. And I think most of the tech that's in the background now is apart from start-stop, which is hit and miss, isn't it? Let's be honest, because in my car, in the, in, in the Audi, you say you're slowing down junction and you're, you're going to be going left, so you, you want to move the car over to the left-hand side of the junction, as you, you generally do. So you've indicated you're moving over, it cuts out, and then the steering turns off, which is absolutely brilliant. So you, <laughs> you find yourself sort of heaving the car around, absolutely hopeless. I'm fortunate in that my car doesn't have it, and... Uh... My wife's car does have it, but it defaults to off, I think. So it's it's one of those things that I could probably live without and have lived without up to now. So, yes, if I'm going to be stuck with no power steering in a corner, it's the first thing I'd be turning off as soon as I got in the car. So that's the secret. Start the car up and turn the start stop off. I would say so. There's all these things, you know, when you, you go on to do advanced stuff, they teach you to do a cockpit drill, which is to sort of familiarise yourself with the interior of the car and what it can do, all its systems, all that sort of thing. So if you were mm. sort of placed in a in a bog-standard Marbella somewhere at two o'clock in the morning on one of the Balearic Islands, you know roughly where everything is, you know, the obvious things like the wheels on the other side and your handbrake's going to be on the <laughs> other side and all that. But, but the, one of the things they do say is work out what, what systems the car's got so you're not going to be caught out by things like the start stop kicking in when you're halfway around a corner and wondering why suddenly the steering's as heavy as it's as it's ever going to be and i think that's probably quite wise actually i'm not proletizing for the iam at this early point of the proceedings but i think it does certainly with cars now even basic cars having all these clever systems built into them from standard most people won't have a clue what esp even means let alone what it will do and they are going to find out the hard way one day when they try and sort of accelerate hard in wet weather or up a snowy hill Mm. i i got stuck once this is going back i don't know when i first started working in the motor industry so 2012 or something similar and um we had a really a sudden bout of snow that no one was really expecting. They didn't bother gritting the roads, and the town where I was working, it took. I, th- I think I gave up after four hours because people just kept driving out and then booting it, and waiting for the car to slide back down the hill. And it was just an absolute mess. I had a an old beater of a, a Mark Three Fiesta. It was a bit of a shed, and actually someone's restored it now, which is which is lovely. I mean, when I had it, it had 
I had like a porcelain badger set glued to the dashboard, all kinds of weird stuff. But it was it was just an old an old wreck, basically. Uh, yeah, you know, you did hear that right. It was absolutely fine in the snow. No no driver assistance, no nothing. You just had to be sensible about driving. But I couldn't get anywhere. Ended up giving up and um, ringing the boss and asking if I could sleep at work um, because I just I just couldn't get anywhere and ended up having to sort of limp the car back past everyone else who was still sliding down the. Uh, down the hills they were trying to drive up it's just it's madness really madness but it seems you can you can do perfectly well with it without a lot of this stuff and i'll be at a point now where although you don't really notice it it interferes too much i don't know it's like anything once you have it you uh you become reliant on it don't you so i mean power steering being uh the original thing if you had a car your first car without power steering you you knew no different and you just got on with it but it kept you in the habit of uh of not dry steering so it meant you were more mechanically sympathetic on your steering arm and your tires etc you know power steering people are talking power steering these days and you see them just spinning the wheel on the spot and and grinding the tires into the tarmac and it's uh it's not good you know i had a car without abs so it taught me how to brake hard without locking all the wheels up because the first time i braked hard and locked all the wheels up and went sailing straight through a red light i thought oh, that was a bit <laughs> silly I'll, uh, I'll i'll not do that i'll just i'll that that's beyond the limit i'll uh, i'll rein it in a little bit from there and uh, and off i went so but still to this day if i'm Breaking hard, I try not to trigger the ABS. You know, I, I like I get to that that limit where the ABS is, and then try and feel it from there, rather than just slamming on the brakes and letting uh, letting the systems do the work. Yeah, but mm. some people learn by their experience, and others never do. <gasps> A voice slightly <laughs> on. He talks. Good God. I don't know how and why, but suddenly the microphone is unmuted and uh, oh, look, apparently working again. <laughs> I'll tell you a story I saw this afternoon about incautious driving. A notorious Hamney Park near Eastbourne, a notorious uh, long wait at uh, a railway crossing. And I'd just crossed over going westbound. And going eastbound was uh, Jack the Lad in a 5 Series BM, a fairly battered old one, who decided to boot it as he crossed the railway lines, presumably to maximise the exhaust noise. Unfortunately, he managed to make a sort of 90 left and hit the barrier, which was not a f- smart move. <laughs> didn't, didn't help anybody else. And the C word, I should think, would have been applied by most of the people watching. BMW drivers, eh, Jim? There was an article I was reading just today about the forthcoming, uh, what is it, adaptive driver assistance systems, which are mandatory for all EU-sold cars from 2022 onwards. And it made me realise that, uh, and Andrew will know uh, this when we go on these uh, SMMT days, one of the first things I often do on the country roads is turn all the bloody warnings off because they drive you mad. And, uh, you know, things like lane assist, when you've got two very narrow lanes on a country road, Lane assist really doesn't help you at all, and being told you're not in your lane doesn't help because otherwise you'd be in the edge. So, um, you know, some of these things are, are very, very helpful, some not, but nevertheless, um, including an alcohol interlock device, all of these things are set to arrive with us literally within the next couple of years. How much of an effect is this actually going to have on, on what matters? Because, well, I mean, why, why do manufacturers add all these safety systems and why does the EU mandate all these safety systems? It's to save lives, isn't it? It suggests that it would uh, 
this latest tranche of uh, adaptive systems or assistance systems would uh, basically cut the European death toll by roughly two-thirds, which has to be a worthwhile aim. It is, but I'm, I'm not sure the stats back that up. Looking at the uh, the latest um, casualty figures, I think with the and UK roads at least, our lowest death rate was... Uh, in 2013, 1,700 people died, which is uh, is obviously 1,700 too many, and there's been a dramatic, uh, a dramatic drop since you know the 1960s, 1970s. It's come down every year, but it's it's kind of plateaued now. So have have cars have the the safety systems in cars and airbags and seatbelts and pretensioners and whatever else has has all that kind of got as good as it's going to get because you know since 2010 really death rates haven't dropped that much and lots of these safety systems as we said earlier have all started in uh, in mid early late 2000 so the systems are getting better and better and better but the the figures for dropping deaths aren't really backing that up so is that people getting in a car thinking oh it's got all these safety systems it's going to catch me i'm absolutely fine and and driving like bellends and, and there's you know no matter how good the safety systems are you can't overcome physics can you you're back to your discussion that uh, I caught a little of earlier uh, about masks. You know, uh, will they make people uh, less cautious about everything else? And I guess there is uh, some chances of that. But I always remember the famous quote from many years ago. If you really wanted to stop people driving dangerously, you'd put a big spike in the middle of the steering wheel. There's a logic to it. Do we need to have that off-air chat about masks on air? Uh, oh yes, we do. If if we're going to loop that in, <laughs> I guess the next thing is to try and stop people from having crashes in the first place. Now, some of the cars, and I know Ford are doing this, and a few other manufacturers as well, are starting to talk to each other so they know their position on the road. For example, if you're coming up to a junction and it's on a, a blind bend, it knows another one is coming round the corner, and it will stop you from pulling out. Good idea. Yeah, very good idea. Very good idea. Will it stop you if it knows you're approaching a roundabout in the incorrect lane? Will it stop you? taking an exit that you shouldn't do? Will the, you know, the lane departure warning system, the guidance, will that kick in and, and stop you from taking some nose to. off round a roundabout? Much like the idiots, the, and this is the reason why there are queues in the morning when you're on your way to work and whilst you're at a roundabout, idiots that go up to a roundabout and then don't signal to show where they're coming off. Now, what we need to have for that is, if you remember Demolition Man, when the little ticket came out the wall, um, whenever he, he did a swear word, it needs to have one of those where it comes out the side of the car and gives them a point. Just one point on their licence. John Spartan, you have been fined one half credit for a violation of the verbal morality code. Doesn't know how to use the three seashells. Doesn't know how to use his indicators. <laughs> Never mind a ticket. A 20,000 volt shock. <laughs> Mike, these are things that we all see every time we go on the road and, and just further proves that... 75% of the people that are on the road should never have passed the test and shouldn't be allowed on the road anyway because not only is they uh, incapable of driving a donkey and cart, uh, they'd probably harm both the donkey and the cart. They're just idiots. I think there's only one arse in that uh, donkey and cart analogy there. That's, <laughs> that's definitely the person behind the wheel. I'm sure we're all agreed on this, that the... the general standard of driving on the roads is is very very poor and it's not improving um, and you can have as many safety aids as you like but as you quite rightly say michael if you can't be bothered to use your indicators or turn your lights on uh, i drove home in the rain this afternoon quite heavy rain 
Uh, I could tell it was going to rain by the fact that the people coming towards me, for the most part, had their lights on. Uh, and that's, you know, that's always a good sign. But the fact was then a lot of people came towards me that had no lights on at all and they were completely oblivious to the fact that they were virtually invisible in the rain. Or they were driving with DRLs on under the very uh, mistaken apprehension that they did have their lights on, like they drive along at night with the front lit up like a Christmas tree and the back completely invisible. <laughs> That's yeah. true. The whole thing, DRLs, there should be a law. They're either on the whole time or they're either off the whole time. But if they do come on, they should have the rear lights come on with them. Uh, it's, it's just the Scandinavian approach, which is when your DRLs are on, all your lights are on, rather than just the ones at the front. It's insane. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. See, I've, I've I've coded that into my car, so I've not only turned the the daytime running lights up a bit, so they're that that little bit brighter. So on a murky day, they're good enough for people to see you, not to light the way or to be seen, but they're you know the two rules: see and be seen. Um, they certainly mm. allow you to be seen, but I also turn the rear lights on as well. So at all times, I've got front and rear lights on. Quite right too. Mine are the same. Should be the default. I've habitually driven on headlights, dipped headlights forever you know i must have been doing this for the last 20 or 30 years and it's not because my yep. vision is not improving it's because i want the idiots to see me uh, and hopefully mm, yep. if they Same see here. me they won't crash into me and i might go through three four half a dozen bulbs a year i don't care it's worth it to try and protect myself no i was i was always doing that why did it all of a sudden become a thing on cars for the the dashboards to be lit up all the time because again in the older that's days, a problem if yeah. if it was dark mm-hmm. enough that you couldn't see the dashboard, that was a clue you had you put to your turn lights your lights on. on. Mm. Fairly straightforward. It was it was a remarkable safety feature, but that seems to have all disappeared. In any car you get into, the dash the dashboard is always lit up. I think there's another problem as well, and I think that when you're driving along, and I get this problem in the Orion more than anything else, because it's old enough that it doesn't have day running lights, and it's the same actually in uh, in my wife's old commuter Fiesta doesn't have day running lights people don't seem to notice that you're moving because they don't see the lights coming towards them down the road. So if you sort of nipped in to allow someone to go past you in a queue of cars or something, for example, and then you move out again, they don't actually notice that you're, you're actually switched on and working. And it's even worse than the Orion because at the back, there's only two brake lights. So if you're in a queue of traffic and stopped, people don't realise that you've stopped because there's no third brake light and people don't see it. So you see people come racing up behind you and then brake really hard. And I, it took me a while to figure out what it was. I thought it was just me. But no, it's, I think people genuinely have got so used to seeing the third brake light and when you're coming towards them, seeing the, the day running lights on. If they don't see these things, they don't connect with the fact that you're actually a, a vehicle that's either moving or stopped. But I, I completely agree. Why don't, we, why don't manufacturers switch the rear lights on by default? So it, it makes complete sense that we've mapped them into to our cars, but not everyone can do that. And there usually isn't an option in the menus to do that either. We were on the M25 the other day and there was a, a, quite a, a heavy rainfall and there was a 7 Series behind me and I couldn't really see that. I think that's a big old car, a 7 Series. What, just switch your lights on. It's just ignorance really, isn't it? People just don't know what the car will do. They don't know what the buttons do. They just get in it, point and go and then you end up flashing them at night going turn your lights on and all you get for your or even during the day if it's pouring with rain and you're flashing people to put the lights on you get the middle finger or you get some sort of aggressive maneuver towards you it's that's why I've, I've given up sort of trying to alert people to the fact they do this now because you just end up coming in for a whole load of abuse yeah, yeah. like you david similarly i've i've given up trying to warn people now i spent years and years and years 
trying to 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 do just that and and uh you know people just take no notice or you get a a very unpleasant reaction uh i the ones that really really irritate me is when i come up behind the ones that have turned their fog light on uh, and basically they they put their fog light on in october and turn it off again in march on the drivers looking at you it's just, it's just so irritating this is the thing though with when it comes to and it was the same with people have the the front fog lamps on I found that the beauty of modern modern headlamps, like uh, the one you know in, in the Audi, you know, and it's the same in in uh, in your BM, Jim. And I, I should imagine it's the same on the Skoda. You have the LED headlamps or laser headlamps in some of the cars now, which I think is incredible. Uh, just it's cool to see what laser headlamps, isn't it? it they're so bright they, they could potentially burn through the car that you're trying to flash. <laughs> they are unbelievably bright. And at night time, if something goes past you, and I've uh, I, I did this quite unintentionally. And there's a, a speed camera on a dual carriageway not far from where I live. And there was someone wanting to pull out onto dual carriageway from the left. I moved over to the right and uh, as I went through, flashed. And the guy that was in front of me, I think, had been flashed by the camera, <laughs> by the speed camera. And near enough to do an emergency stop. Because they are just so unbelievably bright now. I mean, they, they are great if you're not looking directly at them. If you're the person by, behind them. If Head on, they are incredibly bright, aren't they? But the two rules, C and B, seem, and it allows you to do both. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're supposed to be clever now. I mean, the, the Matrix headlights now are the ones that can sort of illuminate the bit of road that you need to be looking at and no more, so they can be as bright as you ever would want them to be. But because they're focused and targeted so well, you you don't need to worry too much about glare on other people. But again, we're we're relying on technology to do the thinking. It switches itself on and off on full beam or half mm. beam or corner mode or, or whatever. And it again, yes, these things are all wonderful, but you've got to know what they're doing in order mm. to be allowed to go out and use them, I would say. I mean, perhaps... You know, they're they're talking about cars being clever enough to be able to be updated over the air now, which obviously Teslas can do. And they're talking about, yeah. you know, enabling options now over the air. Perhaps you're not allowed to have these features work on your car until you've done a course to prove that you know what the button does yeah. and what the car's likely to do in any given situation. Yet again, illustrates the old rule that uh, there is absolutely no correlation between the ability to buy a car and the ability to drive a car. Here, yeah, here. Yeah. So we received a memo today to say that they're going to stop putting handbooks in cars because no one ever reads them anyway. And it's basically just a waste of ink. But, you know, it, it's, it seems crazy. Some cars have them built into the, to the dash, which, which yours does, Jim. And actually, it was BMW, um, in the interest of the news, that was saying about their subscription services recently. They were saying that the cars are going to send out potentially with everything already fitted to it. And you pay a subscription if you want it. So if you want heated seats to work, then you pay X amount per month or whatever, and you can have that feature, and you could, I guess, turn it on in the winter if you wanted to. But it seems a bit mad. I just, I, if I buy something, I want to be able for it to work, for be able to keep it forever. I mean, presumably indicators will be quite an expensive option. <laughs> well, I think they had a bit of a backlash over that, didn't they? Because they had the I, when I um, CarPlay was ordered it? mine. It was one of the last where you could order CarPlay as a, as a factory option, so it, it worked and it was there and it was a thing. It was a couple of hundred quid. Uh, and then shortly after that, yeah, they, they announced CarPlay was going to a, a subscription thing because they said most people who, who buy these cars keep them for three years, so we charge them slightly less over three years than they'd pay for it up front and the next owner chooses it if they want it. It, it didn't really make sense. Because it's no. you know you you buy it it's there it's it's a feature for the same reason that you choose 
metallic paint or alloy wheels, you buy you, you add those options A to enhance the uh, the value of the car at the end, but B you want the enjoyment out of them, um, mm. and and for residual values. And you know a car in a metallic colour can uh, perversely cost you less to run because it's worth more at the end. Um, but why that that subscription model is? I'm not a hundred percent certain that works with certain types of car ownership because you want it you know you have a monthly cost of a car and a pcp a lease or an acquire agreement whatever it is but if you're the sort of person that wants to buy your car and own your car and look after your car you uh you want that that thing to be there and, and be fitted i'm not quite sure a subscription model to a physical thing works if if that makes sense if the whole thing isn't subscription but having said that a, a pcp to all intents and purposes is a subscription model you pay for the use of it for a period of time and that's it i think it's a it's an interesting marketing trick but but whether uh it, it'll spread more widely i really can't see it I, I i just don't see that people want to buy into their car in that way I, it just Maybe it's just me and uh, my age, but I, I, I really can't see that. Where I'm in support of that, and David, you mentioned Tesla, is where you can then add an extra feature later on. So I was, just because I was, I was interested and I thought, I wonder how much a Model 3 is now and what you can buy it for. You can have, it comes with standard autopilot, but you can have the advanced autopilot where it does all the extra bits and pieces and add it later on. So the bits are obviously in there. And if you can have an over-the-air update where you can say, actually, I do want to spend however much this is on it now, that kind of makes sense. Because to be able to add extra bits on it, and I don't know if, if you guys were the same, but when I was a kid, you'd, you know, you'd get your car and then you'd go and find one in the scrapyard that had electric mirrors. And you'd fit electric mirrors and the door looms and the switch on it, and away you go. Or you'd fit the extra, you know, extra f the fog lamps or whatever it might be. And it was a relatively straightforward wiring process. But you couldn't necessarily get the one that you wanted to begin. But if you're the sort of second or third owner of a car or something, and actually you decide, yeah, do you know what? I really would. I'd like to have bought this car, but I would like to have bought this car with heated seats. Then it would make sense to be able to pay to turn them on. But when you've got a a three series which is five grand's worth, are you going to be wanting to spend fifteen quid a month on a subscription to have the options turned on? And when you come to sell it. And you get, would you have to sell it as a poverty spec car? I don't know. <laughs> you know, we're we're really we're talking about this technology now, but we're really not that very far from when uh, a heater was an optional extra and a quite expensive one <laughs> on most British cars. You know, it's we've we've come a long way, and there's a lot of technology on offer now if we wanted it. I think this is where manufacturers are are going a bit wrong with things because they they see the the tesla model of doing business or probably more than anything else the uh shareholders of other manufacturers whether it's bmw ford toyota whoever see tesla's share price and uh and tesla's dividends or tesla's return on investment and think oh i want some of that that's what we must do it's uh, all these big car companies are moving towards this subscription um, you know this Spotify service. They want all of their stores to look like Apple stores, and it's I, unfortunately it's just not right because it doesn't fit with the car industry. It's it's taking two completely separate industries: the the technology industry and the motor industry. I, I know cars are, are technological things, and, and that side of things is important. But going to buy a Mac or a, or an iPhone is a very different experience to going and buying 
a car and it's I, I, I think they're all just they're going down the wrong path with this and my concern is that they're going to go too far down this path and it's going to lead to a, a lot of, uh, of big dealer groups going pop or deciding they don't want to invest the money that the manufacturers are, are requiring I mean so some of the car showrooms you drive past these days the amount of money that it costs to uh, to build them and get them up and running. You know, our, our local BMW Mini dealership, they, they can't have got change out of £14 million pounds for for building that site to to sell cars. And it's it, it just it doesn't add up. And when you look at the discounts and the pressure they have to hit targets and things, it, the, the whole thing just, just simply doesn't add up. You know, Apple's profit margin on their products is, uh, is wonderful and they're iTunes, Apple Music subscription, anything like that as a top-up or as an add-on to make things nicer, if you want, works very well. But you don't need an Apple Music subscription to get the best out of your iPhone. You can pay and download an app if you want, or you can download a free app or use the stock apps that are on there. You know, you can tailor your experience to it, but the, the profit margin is there in the units and in the physical things that they sell to pay for these these big fancy stores and more importantly the uh, the aftercare etc you know if if your iphone goes wrong you wander into the apple store um and uh, and they look at it and go huh, that's not very good and they get a brand spanking new one out of the box and give it to you and off you go you know i've i've never known a car manufacturer so oh sorry something's gone wrong with the car it's glitched uh, okay have another one it it, it doesn't work like that <laughs> now i think at this point it's worth mentioning and a lot of people think think there's a, a lot of money to be made in selling cars. And whilst there's a reasonable pile of cash, you have to sell a lot of cars to make it work. Unless you work in an industry where you're selling, I don't know, a car with a massive profit margin in it and you sell a low volume of it. So if you've got like a, a sports car or supercar manufacturer, you don't sell very many, but you've got a lot of money in it. For most bread and butter cars, there's not a lot in there. Now, across the industry, a very good profit, a very good return would be 2%. 2% is what most most of the time what you're told to aim for. 1% is probably more realistic and generally speaking is acceptable. So you think it's not it's not a lot of, of profit. In an iPhone or something, you can probably imagine the profit is considerably more. And as Jim has, has just said, yes, you can then afford to, to pay for these gin palaces. The problem is when manufacturers look at the likes of Apple or or whoever, and Tesla are, are a bit of a, an odd an odd case because they're really a technology company that makes cars rather than a car company that uses technology. They tend to be behind the curve because this has already happened. Now they, there already is an Apple store, and that's already the last thing. It's, you know, it's, it's, technology moves on very quickly, and trends and fashion and everything else moves very quickly. And I think you're quite right in saying it's, it's wrong for the motor industry to be trying to play catch-up with this because people just aren't interested. We know that people are interested more in phone connectivity than they are in the way that a car drives in many cases. And this is this isn't me just saying this is this is fact. A lot of people are just not particularly interested in cars. They want to go from here to there. And let's face it, there aren't a huge amount of cars that are truly terrible now. And SUVs are probably a really good example of this, in fact, because you buy an SUV. It's not necessarily the most dynamic. It's quite practical. You can get everything in it but your phone goes into it really well. They all drive very in a very similar fashion. They're all a bit too high. They're all a little bit wobbly, but they're never, never generally speaking, as good as the equivalent car. There are a few exceptions to the rule. Puma is one of these that drives very well. 
but you could kind of wonder, really, don't you? Are, are manufacturers right in chasing this? Maybe people, if people are more interested in their phones than they are in their car, then maybe look at that model. But I just, I think, really, even thinking about doing this now is behind the curve before we've even started. I, I get fascinated by uh, just on the occasionally when I'm watching a commercial channel, watching the car ads, uh, and increasingly those car ads are being aimed at. Late teens, twenty somethings, maybe very, very early thirty somethings, um, and they're really ignoring, from a marketing point of view, the rest of the, the great car buying uh, public. Uh, but they're selling, they're selling ephemera. They're selling a, a, a dream, really. You know, it's 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 the right girl, the right location, and curiously, they're almost invariably filmed in Barcelona or Valencia. Um, but but they're, they're selling a dream dream lifestyle uh, rather than the reality of car ownership. And because we'd like to digress, you mentioned car adverts. And that had me thinking because I had to flick through some, some car adverts the other day. And there have been some really good ones over the years, some really boring ones, some quite iconic ones for like the Clio. Nicole Papa advert, for example. But... Some adverts that I've seen that I really enjoyed. The R8, I think it was the R8 Spider, where they have it strapped down to the dyno, is a really cool advert because, of course, they can't show cars driving quickly anymore because people might be inspired to drive fast, and that's dangerous. And also, um, the does anyone remember the Audi RS6 advert where the guy's riding the bull and it has the... And then the RS6 comes bounding up to the uh, the camera and sort of bounces to a stop. That that advert made me want an Audi. Before then, I wasn't particularly interested. That advert made me want an Audi. I don't know about making me want one, but I tell you, someone who is doing very good car advertising, certainly on telly and online at the minute, is Dacia. They've really just taken the, we are the bargain bucket end yes. of the car ownership experience and we yes. are going to play on that for all it's worth and it works a treat it's it does. so it's well done that's it, very yeah, true the current one at the minute where it's people locked down with a laptop on its side and the yep. voiceover guy who yep. is uh what's his name from the office and every other thing on discovery and quest at the minute on the phone there you go you don't need anything else go and buy a dacha save yourself a few quid they might be two generation old renos but we're not going to tell you that and besides you're so- probably the sort of people that won't give a monkeys will my phone connect to it yes brilliant go and buy a dacha perfect bit of advertising i think it, that's it's so, so refreshing yeah it's, i, I saw that exact same ad earlier this evening and thought that is brilliant they haven't and the whole concept that you don't need to spend the big i think what's it say you don't need a hollywood budget um and it, yeah that's it yeah. yeah absolutely brilliant advert. and if you haven't seen that we'll stick that on a link to that on the website as well um have a look uh it's it's not the most exotic advert in the world but it is quite refreshing Andrew, they're just furiously making notes on all the things that he has to put up on the website later so that we can put them <laughs> in the podcast. It's, uh, no, I think you're quite right. But then the, that, that bargain end side of it and, and how's it going to drive? Well, 90% of people probably don't care. Uh, but when, you know, when you're talking bargain end, it seems like a relative bargain. But when, if you go slightly mad with the options list, you can uh, you can get a Ford Focus up to over £30,000. Actually, I don't think you even need to go that mad. I think if you get an ST line, so a nice looking one with an automatic gearbox, you're talking £30,000. It's too much money. A, f- a five-door family hatchback. 
it's crazy money and the fact that all the manufacturers have the the 0% APR deals or the low percentage APR deals uh, on on a two or three year basis with some money up front and worry about it in three years but it keeps you on that two or three year change cycle to to have a brand new £30,000 car landing on your driveway every two or three years is is to be honest madness i think so actually yeah the uh the dacture end of things is a uh, it's a car it does what it says on the tin get on with it and and that's it it doesn't pretend to be anything it isn't and i uh, and i quite like that I, I like that in cars full stop the original igo was brilliant for this it was brilliant because it didn't pretend to be anything other than a cheap small car you could see the bits of metalwork in the doors and it's the same with the original ka it mm. didn't pretend to be anything other than a really cheap small car the moment they start to dress them up and put extra you know, chunky trim on it and try to pretend it's something luxury and make it heavier. It it just loses all its point for me. And it was the same with the older Fiat's. It was the, what the Seicento was much like that, wasn't it? You had a piece of card on the door with vinyl stretched over it and it was metal along the tops and it was cheap, light fun. Well, before that, it was the Panda where you had the, um, you know, the ambidextrous dashboard, you had the seats you could take out, much like the 2CV before it, it was the spiritual successor mm. and um, you know the things like the on the dashboard you had the ashtray which was literally just a thing that clipped on and you could slide it wherever you want In other news I've been uh, very excited the uh, the last couple of weekends as uh, Formula 1 is back so uh, social distancing and uh, Self-isolation, etc., has been uh, self-imposed over the last couple of weekends. Watching that, I mean, a thrilling to have it back, but b what a uh, what a race! The first Austrian, well, actually, the only Austrian Grand Prix. Cause we had the Austrian Grand Prix and then the Steiermark Grand Prix. Um, although the, the tracks look remarkably similar, uh, although they had different national anthems, which was a bit weird. But we had uh, we had a couple of cracking races. Valtteri Bottas, beard three point seven or whatever version he is. Uh, drove a smashing race in the first one. Great, great, great podium off Lando. So nice to see the Brits doing well. Bit of a bit of an off-colour weekend from Lewis, but he uh, he bounced back the following weekend quite well, I thought. But it's just uh, it's just bad to see the or is it bad? I'm not sure to see the uh, the struggles at Ferrari for a for a once mighty team. They don't seem to be uh, gelling the the drivers, the car, the engine. Nothing seems to be working. In other news, Fernando is back, so I'm uh, I'm massively looking forward to uh, to seeing him in the car. Uh, well, probably this year, I'd say. I think with the uh, with the way the Leclerc Vettel or certainly the Vettel Ferrari relationship is going, it uh, it wouldn't overly surprise me if he didn't see the season out and we saw Carlos and Daniel and Fernando and others all all doing their musical chairs sooner rather than later. It would uh, it would spice the rest of the season up. Well, it'd be nice to see an old stage about it. It's strange to think of him as an old hand these days, really, isn't it? But I suppose that's an indication of how long it's been since I watched Formula One, I'm afraid. Maybe it's time to get back in touch. I think it's great to see Fernando back. Uh, I do have to add, though, that watching everyone carrying out their interviews with their masks, it doesn't really add very much to the overall experience. Plus, you kind of wonder what it's going to be like without having a full crowd there. You, I, for me, that's part of the whole thing. And it is a bit weird. It's kind of like just watching a practice lap. Well, see, I didn't, uh, I didn't miss the uh, the lack of a crowd too much whilst watching the the qualifying or the races. Uh, it was more the uh, the cool down laps and the podium celebrations and, and bits and pieces like that. Uh, although, although it was a little bit bizarre at the second race because we saw the introduction of the the robot or the radio controlled car box things 
that delivered the uh, the trophies to the drivers, and that 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 was quite surreal watching the Daleks pull around dishing out the uh, the trophies. I just in my mind, I just had a vision of one person with a party popper going, "Hooray!" <laughs> <laughs> it was not a, not 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 too far off that. It's it's just all a bit bizarre. I mean, it's it's wonderful to see all the precautions they're taking and trying to keep everybody as safe as possible. I'm I'm although they're they're taking the government's advice and multiplying it by a million. The fact that they're all stood three metres apart outside whilst wearing masks is, you know, I thought you either wore a mask or socially distanced, one of the two, but not until the 24th at 10 past three, because that's when coronavirus changes tax. We don't need to wear a mask in a shop until then. But you do if you're on a train, because trains are different to shops. Um, But only after the 24th, that's when they become the same. And on that note, we have been brought again together by the medium of Zoom, but unfortunately it's raining outside. What's happened is that the internet has filled up with water entirely. Uh, Graham has disappeared off and is once again only able to uh, talk to us through the medium of dance, but actually decided I might as well go and have a beer. So he's gone. So it's goodbye from him. But to be honest with you, I think it's probably time uh, that we said cheerio to you guys and we'll see you next time. We've rambled away over this podcast. And I hope you found it interesting and enjoyable. If you haven't, sorry, better luck next time. In fact, if you haven't right, it's at PO Box, UK Motor Talk, UK Motor Talk Towers, whatever it is. I can never remember, but either way, if you write something, it'll eventually get to us. I have been Mike Gates. I've been Jim. I've been David. And Graham has been drinking. So from all (laughs) of us, good night, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. I hope you have your mask on next time. We'll be watching. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.